This is Andy Gutierrez from StarWars.com, and you are listening to Coffee with Kenobi with Dan Z. This is the podcast you're looking for. This is James Arnold Taylor, and you're listening to Coffee with Kenobi. Hmm, I have a good feeling about this. Joining us today for a cup of coffee to talk about the 18th episode in Season 3 of The Mandalorian. The episode is titled The Minds of Mandalore are two of our great friends. First, you may have heard of this individual before. He is the co-creator, the award-winning designer. Uh, and I had another name I was going to say for you. I can't remember what it was. Class oh, Clown? Class Clown, Corey Club. <laughs> yes, hello. We're back again this week. I'm excited to talk more Mandalorian. Yes, indeed. See, I, I resist saying this is the way because I just, you know, <laughs> we'll find other things to say. Speaking of other things to say, our other great friend who is joining us. Now, this is uh, her first time. She's been on Coffee with Kenobi several times, talking about Willow, and sometimes helping walk me through that entire process. Uh, this is Jen Subchak Chai. She is here for the first Star Wars appearance for Coffee with Kenobi. Jen, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Dan. I'm so glad to be back. And yes, talking with, uh, with you about Willow was great fun, but... Star Wars is something special, very special to me. So I'm really happy to be here for this. Yes, that is the bread and butter of the show. Well, do you put butter on coffee? Is that a British thing? Probably not. I know, I know tea, that and, tea and milk. That's theory. I think if you're on a keto diet, there's something called like a bullet <laughs> bullet coffee that has Irish oh, butter in it. That's yeah. what I was thinking. Oh, this is like crumpets or something. <laughs> I think, I, that's a, I think that's a separate food group. Anyway, okay. well, let's talk about on. the minds of Mandalore. Uh, so uh, we'll just kind of run through it as we always do. One word to describe the episode and uh, overall thoughts on the episode. And Jen, let's start with you. Sure. So my one word, though, I was very tempted to say spelunking just because it's a very Ooh, fun word. Fun. Uh, and, fun and, word. you know, it, it is uttered in this episode. Uh, I went with diaspora because to me, this episode was all about mandalorians spread throughout the galaxy and what what it really means to be a mandalorian and what it, what how mandalorian culture has sort of morphed and changed depending on your relationship to it we see through these three characters who are identify as mandalorians i love that and, and you can hear people pulling over uh and on <laughs> on the side of the road and googling diaspora <laughs> Is fun, and which is basically like you're dispersing throughout in this sense, it's throughout the galaxy, obviously. That's a great, that's great, love it. Uh, Corey, what about you? Yeah, my myth, uh, my my one word, uh, you had a, a good word that was that was better than my word. Uh, I'm I'm a uh, underling, I don't know, I don't think that broadly. Um, mine was mythos, um, mm. just because this is gem packed with just kind of. Digging into the mythos of the Mandalorian culture. Uh, I see what the you people. did there. Yeah, you like that, and of course the the big ending reveal. So, uh, it, it, I think this episode overall was was another slam dunk. Uh, I think it was again they're diving deeper into the Mandalorian uh, background and showing us a lot of gorgeous uh, details around what it has come to be. And it's mm -hmm. been, I I, I kind of realized in this episode, I was like, man. Mandalorians just went from, you know, a small bounty hunter in Return of the Jedi to this huge, sprawling landscape of of people group uh, in Star Wars. So it's really, really very large, and 
uh, I think it's really cool. They're bringing a lot more context to uh, the future. I like that very much. Fascinating. Yeah, it's pretty amazing how he went from um, a mail away figure uh, known as the <laughs> Super Stormtrooper, uh, you know, in that armor. And, and of course, Dave Filoni is such a massive fan of Mandalorian and Mandalorian culture, the armor. And here we are. My word is I'm going to hyphenate. I feel oh. like I can do that. Uh, that's uh, jaw dropping. It's jaw-dropping. There are a number of things to really kind of take your breath away in this. Uh, first words, uh, we'll put that in air quotes. Um, shocking twists, uh, some some new, uh, new ideas, I guess, about how things are working in Star Wars that I'm really looking forward to getting into. And, of course, that ending, uh, I'm really looking forward to breaking down. Just a few moments that really, really kind of shook things. Um, Corey... Uh, to me, like, let's talk about, let's start off with tattooing first. I mean, not just yeah. Corey, but uh, you too, Jen, of course. Let's talk about just the, the sequence, because I see this. I'm going to break it down into, we've got the tattooing opening. We've got the Mandalorian and Grogu's arrival mm -hmm. on Mandalore itself until he gets captured. And then we've got Grogu going back and getting Bo-Katan and her rescuing Mando. And then that last sequence is Bo-Katan, Grogu, and the Mandalorian together going into the waters for a, for a mighty change. Let's just start with Tatooine. Uh, Corey, I, you know, Peli Moto is someone that <laughs> I really, I don't think I ever noticed that when she smiles, she's missing a tooth. Is that new? That No, that's from Book of Boa Fett. I, is, oh, yeah. It was oh, like yeah. a, it was kind of like an outtake or not an outtake, but like a ad lib um, that she put in, I think. But it was it not missing the first time she appeared. I don't think so. I don't remember. I don't know. I don't remember. I've like tempted to open up season one and, and just watching the minis. I don't know. That's that, a good question. That would be great if we got at some point in some form, either a comic or sort of a <laughs> a one-off short or something like that on Disney plus of like the story of how she lost her tooth. <laughs> that would be great. I want to, I want to see that. And do do other Mandalorian tooth fairies, and would they visit Pelly? <laughs> How did uh, they help it? Yes. What what do you what do you think of the opening sequence with the Tatooine? I I really like uh, Pelly Moto working with the Jawas. Kind of kind of dishonest, but yeah. also very entertaining. She uh, she's definitely become one of those characters. They're like I kind of relate her to like a Cosmo Kramer style character that's kind of wild and crazy but reveal and dealing you know she, she's well this character's not doesn't sit in the background and just like kind of flutter around she does her thing and we're getting to know her she's kind of she treats the ones she loves the best but also people that she's just trying to get by and, and kind of uh make her her existence kind of uh known so uh, i love the fact that she deals with jawas all the time i guess their language down i think it's a fun little thing to do jawa ease um, i don't know if ease being said i saw that on the closed captions yeah that when it comes out, okay. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. It's and the other thing I want to say we're back to Tatooine again. I feel like for Tatooine being such like a kind of a desolate planet, we go there a lot. I feel like in Star Wars, uh, you know, planets visiting. So now I'm not not mad about it. Uh, it was kind of cool to see some callbacks to Episode One, uh, the pod, little small pod race or speed race. It was looks like. Uh, was pretty cool, and Boon to Eve was a, definitely a callback to um, yes. Anakin. So, pretty cool. I I will never get tired of Tatooine. In fact, I wish Galaxy's Edge was Tatooine instead of Batu. Mm. And I think you could make a couple of adjustments, and that could happen. Uh, Jen, 
what are some fun things or things that jump out to you? I know you're excited. There's a lot to break down in this and probably not as much in the Tatooine per se, but there's some stuff. I I love the Tatooine scene. I mean, in general, it was delightful and, and fun. It was great to see Pelimoto again. But to me, this was a great fake out from la- in terms of our expectations from last week, because mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. the end of last week when it's like, oh, we're going to go somewhere to get a part. That to me was like, oh, we're going to have a sort of side quest to go get this part before we can kind of get back on track in terms of heading towards Mandalore. And I personally love those one-off episodes. I love the adventure of the week structure uh, to this and the Bad Batch and you know other Star Wars stories. Uh, but I was sort of bracing myself for the discourse, the filler discourse of people being like, really? We got to yeah. go off and go here? Like, why can't we just get to the real story? And so I loved, I, I was so tickled by the idea that I feel like this is John Favreau sort of like punking the audience <laughs> and saying like, you know, you thought we were, you thought this is going to take a really long time, but boom, we're giving you, we're giving you exactly what you want in this episode. And we're, we're, you know, the, and Pelimoto is what makes that happen. Right. Because she sort of uh, redirects Din's. I got to get this part for IG 11. IG 11 is my focus and redirects him to be like, no, you can just go now. It's fine. Bye. I can't hear you. Bye. <laughs> The uh, she her manipulating that Rodian and realizing that she's working with the jaw was you. I feel like that would have a short shelf life, but I don't know. They're pretty clever, and uh, the whole R five selling R five, getting actual real confirmation this is in fact R five D four. I mean, we it was pretty understood, but having it like that, you know, he's fresh from fighting for the rebellion. I love that. I was a little frustrated with the whole, you know, she hits him in the the part falls off, you know, the slapstick idea. <laughs> like, is he really going to go for this? This seems like a far cry from IG 11. He says he, he needs a droid that's rated for spelunking so he can test the atmosphere. And then at the end, he's, you know, like you said, she closes the cockpit on him. I, I want to talk about what you just mentioned. I really like that. I see the title of the episode and I, and I said to Mason already, we're really yeah. going there. I thought it would be like episodes <clears throat> seven and eight of the season or six, seven, and eight. We're already there and we've already forgotten about the MacGuffin that is I, the IG 11, you know, circuitry, his memory circuit that we need. And we're just off to the races. I I really like that. And I, I do think it's, it's not really, yeah, it's, the bait and switch is a good description. But here's the thing she swears that. Grogu had his first word, but he said Pelly. <laughs> now, I don't know about the two of you, but we Captain rewound that part. Yeah, the caption says that I rewound that probably five or six times. This reminds me of when Mason was little, and I was like, he said dad. And I'm like, no, he just said blah, 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 blah. Yeah. It's like wishful thinking. What do you two think? No, I, I, my kids were totally on track. Oh, he said something. We, we were all kind of arguing about it. And like, I, I don't think it's just gobbledygook. I think it's just maybe talk <laughs> or Grogu talk, if you will. Uh, we did rewind another part in that section where uh, Pella, she, um, she says Boba Fat. Is it like a Boston accent or something? Like, I feel like she says she does say it weird, but I, at the D twenty three Expo, she said. I have no idea what I'm saying. Dave writes his words. And John, I have no idea what they mean. So to it. me, that was like perfect. Okay. Very good. He's very convincing. Yes. Jen, are you in agreement? This wasn't his first word. 
Yeah, I feel I feel like this does introduce the idea that at some point down the road, Same. right, that we're we're sort of his development is on, and you know, a lot of a lot of what we've seen from Grogu this season so far has been establishing that he has developed, right, mostly with his use of yes. the Force. We see him jumping around everywhere and, and everything, but <laughs> I think that they, they really want us to remember that he he went through some amount of Jedi training <laughs> um, to make everything believable. But I think that that. I think they're teasing that, you know, oh, he he may not be actually saying words yet, but he is moving in that direction. And so I think it's setting up for something, what his uttering his first word later. It might be much, much later. But yeah, I think I was like you, Dan, I was like, as a parent, this really resonated with me because, you know, you're you're especially with your first child, I feel like you're like really in anticipation of like, are they, are they on track? Are they okay? Like, are they, should they be talking already? And you <laughs> right. really want to kind of hear what you want to hear. My my daughter uh, called everyone cat. That was her. <laughs> like she pointed at people and just said cat, 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 and it was like you know. Yeah. Oh, uh, why is you know? Why that's is your mama? <laughs> that's perfect. That's exact. That's exactly right. So he leaves the island. There, there's this not the island. He, they leave Tatooine, <laughs> uh, and there's I think there's a beautiful moment where the Mandalorian talks to Grogu and says, you know, this was once a beautiful, a green and beautiful planet, but now it's scary. Grogu is scared. We've already established that Grogu is very strong on the force. He's able to uh, at least recognize when pergils are flying in hyperspace. Hmm. We've seen a lot of examples and evidence. And, and like you just said, Jen, he's not talking necessarily in words that are basic, you know, the basic language, but he can navigate. He can, he can function with the force. He can, he's, acrobatic he um <laughs> yeah i mean he's highly his, his emotional intelligence is extraordinarily high extraordinarily apparently he's high. good at using maps yeah. yes exactly because and she said well you must be strong with the force because you found me by yourself but I, I i don't remember ever hearing that the mandalorian grew up on concordia which of course fans of the clone wars know and rebels know what that planet is bo-katan lives on kalevala mm -hmm. and then they land um and then things just things take a couple of interesting turns. Uh, is there any symbolism we can take from the surface of Mandalore? It's made of turning, like this, turning the glass, you mean? It's like it's like a glassy. I expected him to slip when he walked on oh. it, and everyone has always said this is this planet is it's destroyed, it's ruined, it's cursed. We've heard all kinds of things. It's it's a sheet of glass, as Boba Fett oh. says in the end of season two. I always kind of, you know, glass is reflective, right? So if it's reflecting up, uh, we'll say it that way, right? Mm -hmm. uh, it's reflecting the stars, right? So I'd expect that that's a metaphor of, of the Mandalorian culture or people uh, being scattered like stars. Um, so they're out there kind of trying to figure out what's going on. There's different clans, different cultures, different ways of life. Um, so they don't know what to do necessarily. Who's the leader? Who's who's really believing in what? Do we, do we, mm -hmm. do we believe all the same things? The... The water baptisms to leave the helmet on, take it off. Do we rule by the dark saber? You know, so I think that you know that's maybe something you could kind of tease in there, or tweak in there about the glass, you know, surface. Um, mm -hmm. But I mean, that's maybe a stretch. But I think there's so much more going on, on underneath the glass that's going to hopefully rise up. And I think um, you just, I think you just hit the metaphor on the head, uh, Jim. What do you think? <laughs> 
Yeah, I was going to say something simpler. You know, glass is very fragile, breakable, easy mm -hmm. to shatter. That's sort of the state of Mandalore as a culture right now. Mm -hmm. uh, as, like as we're better. going going towards this, that like it's you know they're it's it's very it's has cracks in it and they're broken into pieces and and it's you know it's really hanging on by a thread in terms of like can we call this a culture even if everyone's kind of spread out everywhere um and to and to me the the part of this episode that was uh grogu bokatan and din to me really illustrated that really well because if you think about it they're three different versions of mandalorians in terms of like their relationship to the home world right like the for me, one of the best lines in this episode was Din saying, this is the homeworld of our people. Every Mandalorian can trace their roots back here. And you know what? I haven't been here either. Right. So yeah. like the idea that he identifies so strongly with with Mandalorian culture, but he's never actually been to Mandalore. And then Grogu is even one step removed from that because he's mm -hmm. he's never because at least Din says that he grew up on Concordia. But Grogu is like completely new and learning all of this for the first time, has no kind of rooting in traditional Mandalorian culture. He's learning that from from Din. Whereas on the other end of the spectrum, you have Bo-Katan, who is like, you don't even know what you've never had pog soup. Like, <laughs> uh <-huh. what> <coughs> this is crazy yeah. because to me, as a child, every Mandalorian kid growing up had pog soup. And so it's really interesting that there are certain touchstones where it's like they're diverging culturally, but then also when it comes to the creed, that's the one thing that seems to kind of be the the unifying thing that kind of gets Bo-Katan sort of in, like reignites her, her mm. uh, kind of like erodes away at her cynicism about Mandalore and kind of like gets her, catches her attention in a big way. I like that. You know, the, I like that this whole series is about, about identity, you know, as any good story is. And the Mandalorians, their identity is very fragile. It's um, it's glass in, you know, if we want to compare it to the surface, it's, it were fusion bombs from the purge or what we find out they have disrupted the magnetic field around the planet's core. So they can't communicate with anybody off planet. They're completely cut off from the rest of the galaxy. And when he said that, I'm like, hello metaphor. That's exactly right. That's what the Mandalorian people have done. And Bo-Katan says that later in the episode, you know, what made me sad or, does she say sad? I wrote it down. Uh, she said what scares her um, was how they decided to fight with each other. Uh, it, no, she said it pains her to see our kind wipe one another out. Yeah, hmm. and I, I get, I you get this idea that while the Empire is, of course, the face of the destruction, I, I we never you can't watch a Mandalorian fight any Mandalorian fight and not say how did they ever get defeated in combat. But history is full of things like this, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the the pride, the the envy, the the lust for power, uh, the, all of those things end up fighting them back. And I didn't really look at Mandalore as glass. I just I always look at it as ice because even though it's not ice, like I said, I expected him to slip. I thought when the starfighter landed, I thought it was going to be like slip, but it didn't. There's just, there's just so much there, and like you said, Corey. Uh, underneath the surface of what's actually going on. Once he starts to explore, once he realizes that it's safe, you know, he, he, he pressurizes, what does he say? Pressurizes his helmet. Mm -hmm. Then this, this really odd looking creature that kind of reminds me of, there's an old TV show called land of the lost <laughs> with dinosaur people. 
Yeah, it very much reminded me of that. We find out later that these things are called alamites. Mm. But my favorite mm. sequence here uh, is when he pulls out the dark saber finally. Uh, you, you know, if you listened to the show last week or watched on YouTube or Facebook Live, then you know I got I had the good fortune to talk to Dave Filoni and John Favreau, and I asked them specifically about the symbolism of the dark saber, and you heard. Uh, John Favreau and Dave talk about it, but it's it's shown here. The Mandalorian, it, it's like a, it's like a heavy responsibility for whatever reason. When he turns this thing on, he can barely lift it above his knees. Hmm. Now we know that he's not; he has nothing in, involving the Force. Dave Filoni says that to us. But tell me what you got out of that, uh, Jen. Let's go, Jen first, and then Corey. For me, it was really the contrast between seeing how Din is still kind of is still struggling with the weight of the dark saber versus Bo-Katan. Cause when she picks that up off the ground, oh. it's like nothing. <laughs> Jedi. She's a Jedi. She's going. It. Yeah. yeah. It, and it was great to see. And so that's really interesting and made me sort of think, Oh, are we setting this up so that she will teach him how to wield the dark saber? And obviously there's some tension there too, because she probably secretly wants the dark saber for herself. You know, the, how, the extent to which she will go through to, to, to accomplish that is debatable at this point, but oh, um, really? See, I think she's had plenty of chances to take it or to fight him, but I don't, I just don't think that's who she is, even though she wants us to think that. Hmm. So, you're you're in complete, you're like, you're she, you think she's very trustworthy, she's not, I doesn't have an ulterior be, motive. I think she's had plenty of opportunities to take it. Ben right. Din Djarin is being paras, parasited. Right. He's having blood drink completely. I mean, he's dying. He's going to die. She has all the chance in the world. She doesn't do it. I think that would have been her opportunity. If but, she any wants, gray. but she wants to win it the right way, though. Right. Yeah. Well, that is true. So that, that might is be true. why she's waiting. She's waiting. But for she could have fought him at her, ho- at, at, at her castle. At her house. And Kalevala. <laughs> <laughs> like, if people keep asking me, does she just sit on that throne all the time? Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't I don't know. There, there was a shot where they lingered on her putting a a, a blade in her boot, mm-hmm. and that made me suspicious. I was like, "Oh, is this going to be a thing later?" So you are, you are, you got one eye on her still. I don't, I don't want to. But basically, when I watched the episode last week, I was totally like, "Oh, like I feel so bad for her." You know, she's really distraught over what's happened. She feels like she's failed again. And then I listened to Rebel Base Card podcast uh, and and Greg Cass was like, don't trust her for a second. And it made a really compelling argument for why (laughs) this is performative. And she just kind of like she's a like I think he said she was like a lioness sort of like we like playing with her prey. And so then I then I was like, oh, I can't unsee that. (laughs) She saves his life twice in the episode. If if she is like that, then she's a sociopath. I don't want her to be a sociopath. I don't. I don't, I don't no, think don't she either. is. I think there's honor there still. I mean, you got to remember in yeah. Rebels and stuff like that that there was there's a lot of integrity. She's she's got a very gruff exterior, and she's by no means fuzzy, mm-hmm. and you know, and like a, a little teddy bear. As far I mean, she will she will she will cut you if she needs to. But I just I don't think she. I think she admires the heck out of Din, and she could have fought him in her castle. She could have fought him. Uh, on the Star Cruiser in season two, I don't know, but I mean, I love what, when Greg talks, so I yeah. could easily subscribe to that too. I think uh, you talk going back to Dark Saber. Uh, 
it's an object, right? It, it's an object that's in this no, world a symbol. that you can see. Yeah, it's a symbol in her in, in some I'm respects to, to what um, what her kind of belief is. And this whole episode is really about Bo-Katan and her belief, I, I think. And she she wants that dark saber so darn bad, and you see her wield it with with ease because she has a goal in mind. She knows. She, it's not just you know made to just be used utilitarily and you know as as a weapon. She she has faith in it, right? But then we see that shift a little bit towards the end of the episode. Obviously, that the, that mentality of her, oh crap! You know everything I believed would save me is now spun on his head because it's true. All all the myths or whatnot are true um, from her perspective. So it's she has to kind of. I think she's going to have to battle herself in the sense of trying to come to terms of what do I believe now? And I'm probably going to ahead of myself, but you know, is the dark Sarah really now the end that she needs to have, or is there something else? There's something bigger, better now. So um, I think she is a lioness. I like that type of corporation, yeah. but also she's also part of a pride. If you're going to take on that lion's mm-hmm. term, she's, she's doing the best she can for the pride. And if that means taking someone else down with her or, or taking someone out that she might feel uh, she needs to, then she's not, she's willing to do that. So I don't think that necessarily they're at odds yet. They're still kind of working together to figure this out. And she has this bigger revelation in this episode. And so what she does next is going to be really telling of who she really is in her character. So um, yeah, the dark saber I think is definitely an interesting piece to the puzzle. Hmm. I, I'm going to have to go a long way to think she's going to turn. Uh, if, if Fennec Shan didn't uh, in the book of Boba Fett, I don't know. I just, I just don't, I think when she tells us in the apostate that she says, well, you know, you've got the dark saber, wave it around. They'll follow you. I think she's, I think she's starting to see the folly. I think everything that she's learned in this episode and the way that she's reflective, I don't, I think we're going to see, I think, Coming out of that water at the end, I think she's. I think Mandalorian's not the only one who's gone through some sort of a change. I yeah. I hope I hope so anyway because I really want to like Bo Katan more than I do, and and I think this would help. Yeah, I'm with you. I think in all of her lines in this episode, if you've if you know her backstory from the Clone Wars, mm-hmm. carries so much weight, right? Because mm-hmm. it's when she says it, you know, fighting amongst ourselves made us weak, right? Mm-hmm. She's speaking from experience. Because yes. she she was a part of it. She was she was contributing to the the fracturing of Mandalorian society in the Clone Wars, and so the idea that she has sort of gained wisdom from her experience when she's saying this, and that she has this outer perspective. Yeah, that's why that's why I think she's going to end up being an ally uh, in in the end, at least. And I and I do think that that moment when she's talking about her father, which we actually don't really know a lot about, like that. The, that yeah. the story his backstory is not in the clone wars series mm-hmm. they never talk about it i think and so it's for when she starts talking about him and this is actually I'm, I'm i'm going to confess the moment i choked up during this episode i started tearing up unexpectedly it really took me by surprise when she's she's saying he was a great man and then din stops and looks at her and says this is the way to me that was such a powerful moment and katie sokov does an amazing job yeah. reacting because to her mm-hmm. she's like she's suddenly feeling the power that she hasn't felt in a really long time of like, Oh wow, this is the, our ways are meaningful. Like our culture means something and we need to preserve it. Uh, so I thought that was really great. 
This is Vanessa Marshall, and you're listening to Coffee with Kenobi. You know, you make a good point there, Jen. And and, uh, whenever someone in movies uh, or TV shows will say, oh, I lost that person or that person died, they always say, oh, I'm sorry for your loss or I'm sorry. That's the that's what you say, but almost like to your point, then it goes to a higher level above that and says, "This is the way." Like, I I, I feel for you. This, you know, I'm trying to build in a little bit of like um, understanding. Like, don't don't push me so far away. I'm I'm trying to understand you a little more. And so, you're definitely right on with that. I think that's a great uh, piece of of uh, thought there. And just to do the dark saber thing a little bit more, when she <laughs> has it and she's using it. I know we're out of con- context a little bit. She does. I never see, and I looked as I watched it a couple times now. I've I looked at her looking at it. I just gives it to him. Like she doesn't like. There's no like reluctance or a sigh. And I mean, she's obviously used it before because she uses yeah. it in Rebels, and you know until she loses it to Moff Gideon for however that actually transpires. And you know, I don't know. It, it's going to be really really fun to see. Let's talk about the trap before Bo-Katan shows up mm. yeah. there is. Um, so there's one thing that's been kind of nagging at me and, and I'm among friends. We're having coffee together. Sure, we got, sure. you know, got the three chairs at our table and everyone. Yeah, it's just us. just <laughs> us. Yeah. Just us. And uh, the volume does a lot. It, it, it I'm sure it's soundstage. It you're really, speaking of the volume. It's, it's, it's trans. Yes. It's, it's transcended. Uh, filmmaking and movie making. You McGregor said it. You know it was on the show. He said it's great. You know I could go and I can be on Tatooine. And I could go get in my car and drive home because it's yeah. you know everything is there. But there are times, and I'm not saying it looks bad. It looks beautiful. It looks wonderful. It's it's absolutely trans. You know it transports me to another place. But there are times when I feel the lack of depth when I see the volume and, he, and he, they're going down into the city and it's a great sequence. And I feel like the, the space and the volume and I can, t- and I, in my brain is saying, this is an effect. There really aren't a lot of sets here. Uh, it takes me out of it just hmm. a little, little bit. And I'm not happy about that, but I'm being honest. Sure. I think that's fair. I think it's a really fair point because I think special effects uh, and these, some of these shows have to get done so quickly. And, and you, there's a little bit of a, uh, not as polished as they would maybe like it to be, but yet it's good enough. And the volume definitely creates an atmosphere for the actors to, to, to portray by having to, you know, travel or be in areas that, you know, have to be set up forever. And they just, you know, type it in and it poof, it's on the screen. I do Um, think it's polished. I don't want to say that. Not that you're saying, I mean, so you're saying it's it's polished. I just, I can feel, when I'm not, when I'm not on a set. Yeah. Well, to me, there's a, there's sort of a flatness to it, a visual uh-huh. flatness, like a lack mm-hmm. of depth that, that I, that, that I, I agree that you can tell, you can tell the difference. Was it the so scene probably. for you guys that when he was looking kind of over the crust of that edge, yes. where he looked down the city? Okay. So mm-hmm. I think I was like, I thought for that same, same thing too. I was like, man, this feels like, it's just like, I can tell obviously there's nothing there, but you know, when he did kind of like float down or like use his jet back to, to jump down, I was like, Oh, okay. They're actually showing us a little more, interaction i feel like that was a nice little you know touch point rather than him just you know just 
appearing to the bottom, I guess. So right. I felt like he was actually traveling down and going further down into the, we'll the depths of the planet. So, yeah, I mean, it's interesting that you put that because how else would you do that? You know, that wreckage and all that stuff. I mean, that's oh, just, yeah, you know, and I've so. never complained about special effects, and I'm not complaining about effects now, but I'm just saying there, there's a there's a slight emotional disconnect for me as a viewer. It doesn't take away from the story, but I'm I'm just aware of it. Sure. For me, the use of creatures really helped make yes. up for that. Yeah. Though I think that yeah. really yeah. rounded out the environment that we got here uh, in a way that made it come kind of come alive. So I think if they hadn't have that, it had just been sort of desolate and empty on its own. Then yeah, I agree. It would have been totally and the fact that it's not a CGI creature, or uh, if it was, it's hard to tell. Especially the the Alamites. Um, I like that. I don't know if Neil Scanlon worked on these. I'm assuming he did. He does all the creature effects. But really, really remarkable. When when Din is, he picks up that Mandalorian armor, which looks very dead. I mean, it's just a piece of Beskar anyway. But when he picks it up and then you realize he's inside a trap. Yeah. Uh, things, I mean, this was deliciously creepy. Deliciously creepy? <laughs> yeah, it was a lot more horror-leaning than I would have ever mm. expected expected the show to be. It was especially the 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 droid with the eyeball. Yeah, that's unlike anything I've ever seen in Star Wars. I want to say in terms of creep creepiness level, it was like an evil uh, vampiric version of Plankton from SpongeBob SquarePants. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. We get these. Uh, we got this from the first episode too. These new creatures. Uh, they're mixing mm. old with new. We have R five yep. in this episode being the old, and this creature being the new. I, I love this creature. I love this little. I call. I brought down the. It's a, like a crab creature because it's not really a. A droid or a robot. Yeah, I don't know what it is. It's like a creature of some sort that has basically taken loose parts or things and and, and made some kind of a body form. My kids are like, "Oh, it's Joe Grievous or something like that." I was like, "It does. It reminds me a lot of that character, you know, piecing together." Um, that, you know, that's where can. my mind went too. But my big yeah. question was, whose eye is that? Yeah, because to me it was like, is this a a, a Mandalorian's eye that they sort of harvested and then reappropriated for this weird Franken droid? well my my brain went to uh, well it's not canonically possible of uh, when darth maul is found on that garbage planet that okay my kids all said that too mm -hmm. uh they said yeah. that was kind of very reminiscent of that yeah yeah it's, so it's, it's not unheard it's, of in star wars right so it makes sense no it, this thing has no use for weapons it's casual i mean if it is a mandalorian or has any sense of whatever i mean that's the dark saber i just tosses it aside tosses the blaster aside I don't know what the purpose of this thing is unless it's just it seems a little more sentient than just a wild beast. Mm. But all it appears to be doing is is bleeding the Mandalorian like a mosquito. Yeah. And then is that maybe that's how it it feeds. But how has it survived all this time? Yeah. I guess it doesn't really matter. What does matter is Grogu gets a significant yeah. <laughs> amount of solo screen time. So, Jen, take it away. Um, a lot, of, lot going on with Grogu as he recruits Bo-Katan, and, and they're they're one on ones. I guess they're one on ones, even though Grogu doesn't say much. Sorry, Pelly, are really fascinating. <laughs> yeah, no, this was great. I I actually really love that he had the, that he can he can operate his own pod now and move around yeah. freely. <laughs> I think that's a really clever. That's a very clever solve for. Oh, he's tiny. And, you know, we saw that in Book of Boba Fett with Luke using the force to try to help him move faster. Uh -huh. so I was uh -huh. like, how are we going to do this long term? Like we can't, you know. And so I thought that was really nice. And, and I liked him zooming around in, in his little pod. I thought that was great. And the the moment when he 
knocks out that Alamite. I love the expression on his face because it's like a mixture of like, he's really pleased with himself, but also really surprised. He's <laughs> like, Oh, that worked. Uh, yeah. in, a, in a way that I thought was great. So yeah, I just love seeing him being really capable here and not being sort of the helpless. Oh, action's happening now. Like, like hide duck in the pod. Right. So giving him a lot to do in this episode was really fun. If we're going to be critical, uh, this is where my criticism comes in with him. Oh. The, the the jumping and the flips felt kind of odd. I feel like they're just kind of out of nowhere. And then, then people catching him. Uh, I feel like he's, oh, don't drop him. Like, I don't, I'm afraid to like, he's like, they're switching arms with them. I'm like, I'm carrying a baby. I'm going to be very it's an delicate. $8 million dollar you know? puppet. Be careful. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, that, that just kind of takes me out of it a little bit because kind of a little goofy. My kids love it, obviously. They're like, oh, look at him go. And yes, it does, does definitely have growth for Grogu. That's a hard to say. Growth for Grogu. Grogu. Uh, but I'm glad this is, this is he's he's kind of babbling. He's using the force. He's kind of he's dr- driving the, the N1 Starfighter and, and obviously R, R5's helping him. So um, that was cool to see that like that obviously he told him how to navigate the stars. He said go see Bukatan and he was able to do that. It's kind of like setup, right? It was foreshadowing. So Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, and it all worked for me. Um, but interesting. I think, uh, it's interesting to see him, uh, do that so quickly. He's, he's see, well, but it's runner. not, I, and I know you know this, um, but in the book of Boba Fett, we see that a lot. He trains with Luke. Luke yeah. is showing him how to do that. He's jumping across those little rocks and across the water. Right. Uh, he's very, and, 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 and Ahsoka says, and Ahsoka and Luke are talking, which is still the greatest sentence a Star Wars fan <laughs> could ever say. Amazing. Yeah, so good. And she's and he, Luke says it's not that I'm teaching him so much as he's remembering. Mm-hmm. So Grogu mm-hmm. already knew all to do that stuff, but you you spend a lot of time hiding who you are and your abilities because you're afraid you're going to be murdered. So now he's he's completely relaxed. He did when he uses the force, as we see when he force pushes that Alamite, which is such a great little sequence, which the trailer gave away. Yet another reason never to watch trailers. Thank you very much, <laughs> um, universe. The um. That he doesn't get tired, he doesn't get exhausted. He, I mean, he he put a rancor to sleep and he was fine. So, eventually, eventually, yeah. but it was like it was cool. It was not compared to season one of Mando, it's not even close. That's true. So, so that I mean, and it's just the effects because they actually, and we, and if you watch the making of on the book of Buffett, which was wonderful, they show the act like the this the site, the special effects guys. Having Grogu on the stick and twirling him around, and <laughs> it's probably hard. I don't know how else you would do it, but I I know what you're saying, Corey. Yeah, it's just. I mean, it's just. I know he can do it. I'm not saying I doubt he can do it. I I think it just takes me out of it a little bit when he does do it because it's like, oh, okay, that's he's, he's jumping. <laughs> I I do feel like they're trying a little, a, just a smidge too hard to be like, look, look, see, like he can yeah. do stuff. Oh. I think if they had just taken away maybe one of the moments like that in this episode, just really? to kind of like me- temper it. A he's little doing bit, a flip. I mean, like a little jump. He's, okay, fine, but like this is a full frontal flip. He's just showing off at that point. He's showing that's off. Right. Yeah. He's flexing. <laughs> Check me out, Pelly. <laughs> now that's so we all we're coming from a different place. I like that. They work great for me, but I totally I I'm sure a lot of people have, have feel a little mixed on it too. I think one of my favorite parts of this, and it's just a really quick little moment that I that I really uh, kind of gleamed onto or jumped onto on the second viewing was that R five as they're walking away, watches him on the monitor. Like he cares. Like he's there's yeah. some empathy. And he wants to watch, watch them. It's just a brief little thing, but I think it's really kind of lovely. He 
gets yeah. R5 and more than Din just only, being a Din only leaves the ship because Grogu's like, well, what, what's going to, is he going to be okay? And Din's yeah. like, okay, like, I'll go check on him. <laughs> and this is the guy who hated droids. Yeah. Obviously, his, his change there happened uh, with IG-11. Um, so Bo-Katan and Grogu walk together. We we talked about briefly, and we can certainly talk more about how she wields the dark saber. It's it's extraordinarily graceful. There's even a sequence when the dark saber is away from her, and she uses her grappling hook thingy. That's the technical <laughs> term, friends. Um, and she shoots it at the dark saber and yanks it towards her. And how could you not think of a Jedi? Yeah. With the lights that are being, and you know, and the way she's so, as you said, Jen, she's so graceful with it and eloquent, and she's fought with it before. She even goes underneath the droid when it goes inside the spider, coming out of that little thing, and cuts underneath like Anakin Skywalker did repeatedly in the Clone Wars. It, it's absolutely gorgeous, but here's some of the things she said I wrote them down. This was once a beautiful civilization. Civilization, my family ruined it, ruled it all. Now it's a tomb. Uh, and then there's a lot of back and forth about, you know, I don't know what they told you about us, but the Jedi and the Mandalorian used to get along quite well. We fought side by side. I, You know, we've never actually seen evidence of this. We've seen in the Clone Wars. I mean, I guess in in, in um, the Rebels. Siege of Mandalore and, and stuff with Clone Wars, there, there was definitely some tension there with some fractions um, or factions. But is is that it or is there more to it i mean i remember dave flown years ago at a celebration i think it was back in 2015 heading to the fact that there was another major battle besides what we've seen in the film so i wonder if it's that or maybe there's just an untapped resource here i can't see. i it could be a little bit of both i mean to me yeah. it was very evocative of like again like i said earlier like a lot of her mm -hmm. lines are just they have a depth if you if you know the rest of canon, right? And, and mm -hmm. where, but on the surface, it still is meaningful in terms of catching us up on. It's, like it's good exposition, I think. Mm. Um, so I either think way, that, they want us to know there's tension. There, there was uh, at some point. Yes, they're very concerned sure. that we know that. Right. So I think I think that larger history is going to come into play in a bigger mm -hmm. way at some point, either later this season or in another one. But it it's. Yeah, and I think because she's saying that to Grogu because he is like Tari Vizsla, like another intersection of the man of Mandalore and the mm -hmm. Jedi, and so I, I, I yeah, that had to, in terms of Grogu's character arc coming into his own as a Mandalorian and sort of you know not not forgetting that he's a Jedi was has Jedi training came from the Jedi Order. I think that I think that's going to have to come into it in some way. So yeah, this might be teasing more lore that we get later on. Right. Favreau is, uh, we're all kittens and he's got the yarn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I definitely agree with all that. I think, I think they're definitely teasing things that could happen or could not happen. I think that there's definitely, like in Star Wars, it's almost like, well, if we don't see it now, we'll see it in a comic book series or, or a book series or something like that. So I feel like there's always that possibility of it playing out elsewhere. So I, I don't know. There's there's really not a ton more to say. The fight scene was great, but I really want to jump to the very end unless either of you want to bring up something else. But you brought up the the fight scene, um, and um, I was talking about thinking about the the dark saber a little bit with her using it. Like, have you ever had a friend? I, I mean, growing up, I guess I had friends that would have a lightsaber, and they're wheeling around and pulling around. Like, you want to use it so bad. Like, there's just like this <laughs> urge of like, oh, just let me try it. Just let me just let me hold it. And like, whenever you pick up a lightsaber, you're, doing, you're making that sound. 
you gotta feel her tension. Like, I want to use this thing so bad. Finally, she gets a chance to do this and just wails on this thing, this this creature or whatever. So I felt that moment for her, and she was as uh, uh, you know graceful as you said. So I think that was that. That's what I felt when I saw that. Uh, it was kind of a cool moment for for her. I think and definitely getting a chance to finally wield uh, that. Well, I guess in this situation, I think it's a nice hero moment too. It's, I think it's important to remind the audience that you know, like she even says to Grogan, "We become Grogan." That moment. Do you think your dad was the only Mandalorian? Right. Like, I'm pretty tough myself, little buddy. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> the the snarl that Grogu has towards her when she sort of like <laughs> questions his bravery is uh-huh. that's probably that actually probably was my favorite Grogu moment in the whole episode. It's so it's good. Pretty good. And Katie Katie Sackoff, I mean everyone's good with Grogu, but Katie Sackoff in this episode, the her acting against Grogu is I think was just extra extra fun. Yes. It reminded like me of Mark cool... Hamill with Yoda. Yeah. 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 She's like the cool edgy aunt. Yeah. I feel like that's that's, yes. that's the that's the the rapport that they have. Yeah, let's go out and get a tattoo or something like that. Doesn't yeah. she even say, "What are you looking at?" Yeah, yeah. isn't there like a, a Joe Pesci thing there at the end? Yeah. All right, let's let's talk about the end. Uh, I, I think it will be fun to just sort of talk about how we noticed it. So I watched this. I was lucky. I got to watch it about a week before it came out, and the, the entire time I'm like walking around, uh, mentally holding my lips shut because I'm just afraid I'm going to blurt out the word mythosaur <laughs> uh, because when it happened, you know, there's like some wonderful allusions to it with like, Oh yeah, I'm going to give you the full tour. Here's this plaque. You know, the mines are once a mythosaur lair and these legends, the skull was adopted and became a symbol of our planet. And you're like, okay, that's why both has got that thing and blah, blah, blah. And here we go. And we've known that, but it's nice to hear it actually. It's almost spelled out for you. There's even text right. on the wall, yep. which I haven't freeze framed to look at, but I'm sure that there's the prop people that some cool stuff with it. But when it, when it happened, uh, I, I said out loud like three times in a row to Mason, they did that. I can't believe they did that. They actually did it. Um, and I'll, I'll just say more of my reactions because I don't want to hear from the both of you first. But Jen, what did you think? I was honestly very surprised. And again, I think it goes with the whole idea that this episode really is giving us things that we thought we were going to have to wait all season for. And I think there mm-hmm. was a lot of speculation of, oh, when they go to Mandalore, are they going to find a mythosaur? Uh, that wouldn't that be cool? And I think just to just boom, it, we're, we're two episodes into the season and we see one I think is amazing. And I think as we were sort of talking about earlier, tangentially, Bo-Katan's character arc in this episode she goes from being extremely jaded and disillusioned to sort of rediscovering the wonder of her childhood. Like that, like Mm -hmm. she sort of talks about her having to recite the creed as being like very performative and sort of phony almost. Don't want to embarrass my dad. Right. Yeah. And it's like, it was just like, she sort of resents the idea that she was in the Royal family and had to kind of perform for their subjects and and everything. And, and, and there's just, she has a lot of bitterness and cynicism. We even saw that at the end of last episode where she talked about, well, you know, why don't you just take the dark saber and wave it around? Like she's very flip uh-huh. about, um, uh, about it and kind of like really try uh, trying to undercut the sort of majesty of Mandalore at every turn. And to me, this moment where she sees, and I was watching with the captions and it says Bo-Katan gasps yes. <laughs> when she sees it. Uh-huh. Uh, and so uh-huh. for me, that was really, that was almost like a, 
Han Solo believing in the force kind of yes. moment where it's like she's like it is real. This is not just hooey. It's yeah. like this is this is the, the like I was told all these stories and I I thought they were fairy tales and now like I can see with my own eyes that that it was real and I thought that was very very powerful. I love that and I love the the Han Solo. That's pretty apt because they they're both like our our favorite jaded Star Warsians. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I I had two thoughts on that as far as the mythosaur like reveal um I was given the advice uh, when story writing, when you're telling a story, I guess, give people what they want or something better. And I think that's, that goes with good story writing. And they gave you something we wanted and something better, like the, the depths of Mandalore and kind of the, the history behind it, but also the mythosaur was there. Oh, it's real. We're all going, we're all kind of going, oh, it's real. Even as outside the context of Star Wars, as fans, we're going, oh, hey, this is, this, they're actually doing it. Like you said, Dan, this is real. Uh, and I actually also wrote down, uh, the faith in the force. Uh, and then I wrote down, it's true. All of it, the Han Solo quote. Yep. Um, Cause cool. I felt that same thing too. It's like, it's definitely a revelation. Like you've been told all these stories and all of a sudden you've lived it and you're like, yeah, no, it's, it's totally true. Like all they're saying is it's all true. And then you get to convince everybody else, <laughs> you know, there's someone who's go, come with us, come see the mythosaur, you know, <laughs> I'll show you, you know, it's just like, uh, yeah, he's not going to sit on the N one. He don't wants think so. to bring back proof that he's been in the waters, but yeah. it's going to take more. Maybe it'll be like a home video back proof proof. I guess he's going to get sit on it and they're going to do like a reel. And he's going to sit on yeah. it for, yeah, for Bo Instagram account. <laughs> that will go viral. Yeah, that would definitely go viral. Where where do you think we go from here with the mythosaur? So I Does think it there's a sort of yeah. Go ahead. No, uh, what, do, what do you think? I didn't mean to cut you off. No, I was just gonna say is I, I'm gonna throw a couple options out there. Is it going to just sort of disappear into the horizon and we don't see it again? And it's more like the Loch Ness monster situation where mm-hmm. like <laughs> she'll she'll try to tell other people and they'll be like, nah, that's uh, a stick. Or, yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or or is this going to become that mythosaur going to become a bigger part of the story of the season? Right. Like, are, is this going to be a Boba Fett rancor situation where you know Bo-Katan's riding it like a mount at the end or something? Huh. It, I feel like it could go in a lot of different directions. Uh, what I know is that in in the first episode called The Mandalorian, um, Queel says. You know, your people tamed the mythosaur, right? So that comes to my mind. But it also comes to my mind the way that they talk about uh, the mythosaur. It's the, not a. So maybe there's only one. And mm-hmm. if there is only one and this is the one, uh, is it in fact um, something that mag- – if it appears to you that means something. Like it's not like Excalibur, yeah. but it's the same kind of a concept. A couple of interesting things. Water is such a huge thing in, in all uh, great stories. Uh, and I'm sure you caught a lot of that too, Jen, The uh, especially with what you do in your day job, I would say. But they, when he goes into the like, – he makes this big ceremony where he takes off his his weapons, but he, he keeps his armor on and he keeps his helmet on. So at first you're like, well, why you're going to drown, dude. But uh, why would he take it off? If he's going back in there so he can never take it off again. And you got to suspend your disbelief. The verisimilitude is very rich. And that I'm totally good with that. But as soon as he goes in, he sinks. She dies and without hesitation, 
because she's not a conniving backstabber. Thank you very much. And <laughs> she's, she's races in there. There's yeah. one part where she turns off her light, just one quick part. And then it turns it on again. She doesn't need to at first because you could, she can see him and then she turns it back on again. So my turns it off to see him though, because he has his light on too. Yeah. Yeah. To, to avoid, avoid being blind. Like just like when you're driving at night kind of right. A thing. Right. Yeah. Exactly. But then when she sees it, which it couldn't be more perfect because he could tell her and she would want to believe him, but she wouldn't believe him. Right. That, that's what I would assume. But as soon as they race out of there, he's coughing and gagging. You know, if it you're if it's scuba, when you get out of the water, you take out the regulator. Uh, he keeps it on because otherwise he's going to have to go through that again. <laughs> she doesn't remove her helmet. She takes her helmet off all the time. She doesn't whip right. it off to like take a breath and get, look at that camera and be like, oh. Now, that could very well be undone in, in, in the third chapter of season three. She could do it in the first five seconds. She probably will. But in this moment, her instinct mm -hmm. is to keep it on. Now, I don't believe, mm. and I want to hear what you both think. I, I have a hard time believing because both Dan and Bo, whether they realize it or not, have been looking in the mirror a lot. And, you know, glass is reflective, right? So maybe this planet is reflecting what they really need to see about themselves that her idea that this is mythical and uh, magical and it's just kids you don't know come on don't be so it's kid stories she's gonna fall from that and maybe he's gonna start to see well it'll probably reinforce what he thinks but he also very much respects bo katan and the other mandalorians he's met i don't know i yeah. i would be disappointed if they both didn't kind of meet somewhere in the middle because if that isn't the case, then he's gone through a lot for no reason at all. Right. But because it's only the second episode of the third season, I'm babbling and saying a lot of words here. So I apologize. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I think there's a lot of great stuff in this little Mandalorian stew. Mandalorian stew. Uh, Jen, <laughs> to your question about you know, what happens next, uh, and Dan, to your point too, is I, I think that's like not necessarily this way or that way. It's going to be a, a new way. I I'd hope that's my that's my fan space, right? That's my headspace. Like I'd like to see something like everybody lives peacefully, the end, you know, type thing. And you know, uh, but obviously, you know, it's it's going to take some context to gather the troops and and convince folks and figure it out and what's going to happen next. And do we quick? go back to the planet and live here or, or we do live somewhere else do we keep spread out do we go find more people do we bring you know just what is the deal what's the what's the logistics here um and then the, the overall fact of like just convincing people just going back and saying hey we have a we have a new thought we've we've and kind of, we have a new experience that we we can share with others so it, it's definitely interesting brings a lot of interesting points and then you brought up the taking the helmet off thing um i i was thinking like okay so then Jarn got pulled under, mm -hmm. but and we definitely see Bokahan Tan her her uh, reaction, the bubbles in the face, and her seeing it. But did Din Jarn see it? So is it going to be reversed? Uh, like no, no, I saw it in there. I I'm not. I'm just you know we'll we'll write right away yeah. off the first next that's episode. Fine. But like that's, fine, yeah. that's an interesting concept too. You know. Yeah. So we'll see. I'm I'm excited to see the next episode for sure. I'm too. I really like this idea of them meeting in the middle and sort of creating a new way forward yep. for Mandalore. Mm -hmm. And because I could go back to the idea of reflection, I think they, they will see in each other what they need to see for themselves. Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. So they're going to, they're going to sort of, you know, take a little bit from it. Like, you know, 
and then meet in the middle as dancing. And, and I think that's going to be, it's going to be really great to watch. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, it's like in Harry Potter with the mirror of Erised, right? Desire spelled backwards. It's, but this isn't what they say, what you most desire is, but maybe what you most need to hear. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a lot of wonderful truth in that. And I, and I love that all the little things that they've set up for us, the first two episodes, I, they doesn't seem like that's the path we're going down. And I, I'm very much someone who likes to be surprised. I don't want a predictable story. I, yeah. I want, I want to try new things with this wonderful canvas that is the star Wars universe. And I feel like we've got some amazing people in line that are really setting that up for us. So as we wrap up, uh, we need to give a letter grade for the episode and any final thoughts uh, that we have. Uh, Jen, let's start with you. So I'm going to give this an A. I loved this episode. I think I probably would have been more an A minus for the last week's episode. You know, it was it had restored a feeling of like it's great to be back in this world and with these characters. But this to me really dug was a juicy bite into the, the lore and the and the myth of of Mandalorians in a way that was really satisfying and and the the character arcs and the character the pairings of these characters with each other I I loved all of it so A is definitely my uh, my big thing uh, that that you know and, and like honestly the show most of the time is in the A minus A range like I don't know <laughs> if I really dip further down uh, for for the Mandalorian in general um, but I think in terms of final thoughts. It's it's really interesting to think about Mandalorian culture mm-hmm. and the way in which they're negotiating it right now. Um, so there's you know, and I I can't help it. I'm gonna get academic. I brought I brought a quote. So there's a post colonial theorist named Homie Baba. He wrote um, uh, the location of culture, and in it he says. It is in the emergence of the interstices, the overlap and displacement of domains of difference, that the intersubjective and collective experiences of nationness, community interest, or cultural value are negotiated. And I feel like that's exactly what's happening. That's in this so episode. good. That's why right? we have like, you on the show. Plus, you're pretty fun. <laughs> that's great. No, I. that's exactly yeah. right. I totally, I love that. So it's like, they, you know, they're coming together with different because of the diaspora, right? They're coming together with different versions of what it means to be a Mandalorian. And through their interactions, they're arriving at a new, like to borrow what Corey said, a new way. This um, is the new way. <laughs> this is the new way. Interesting. Yeah. Overall for me, um, like you said, Dan, in the beginning, like we got to kind of the, the idea of the whole series or the whole season, this season he's, he's in Mandalore. He's doing his thing. He's been back to the waters. Um, already episode two i didn't expect that so i'm so glad we have so much more to 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 uncover and un, and explore and like you said i there's a path i want to go down but also want uh something even better right i want this this great path to go down and explore these great characters and but i want something even like even give me something even better uh they've always have on that the show they won't dis- disappoint i think looking forward to some really great stories i give this uh, a solid a um Think back to last week's, and I gave A plus last week, and I was like, "Oh man, is that? Should I lower that grade? I feel like this episode was better uh, than last week's." So I don't know. I guess I have to like, rethink of, about my my grading scale, but that eh, doesn't matter. Like you said, Jen, it's like they're all A's, so uh, my curve is really pretty wide. So 
just different flavors of A. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. Yeah, like Mason says on the Bad Batch episodes, he's like, an A and three-ninths of a... It is, yes. it is <laughs> I, I'm going to give this one A-. minus. Uh, it's it's wonderful. I actually liked the last, ep- last week's episode a little bit better. The only thing keeping this from being a solid A for me is... There were a few times, and I've never felt this in the entire series ever, because I think the Mandalorian is almost perfect. But there were a few times with uh, some of the line delivery, Din Djarin felt flat to me. Hmm. Like, I, I don't know. I just There was something that was missing uh, from the delivery. And what I've told myself is that maybe he's kind of uh, bereft and speechless because of where he is. And while he's while he's Mandalorian through and through, he's never been to Mandalore. So what what makes you who you are? Is it where you're from? Is it how you're raised? Is it how you dress? Is it how you think? Is it how do you identify yourself? So I would like to think that he's kind of out of it. And that's why he was felt a little bit understated. I, I love the list of the Grogu and Bo-Katan. Uh, I, I love and both scratched my head that it wasn't going the direction I wanted, but I also really like that. And I think the ending is, is just a Star Wars fan's dream. Uh-huh. And and the effects, while quick and brief, were spectacular. So I'm, I'm going to give this one a nice A-minus. Listening to Coffee with Kenobi, you are with Dan Z, the podcast you're looking for. This is... <laughs> Now, the two of you, A+. plus, All the way, all the way. Oh, thank you. Uh, Jen, it's so nice to, to have you back on the show. I'm really glad that this was able to work out. Please let everybody know where they can find your, your great work and your reviews. It's not only Star Wars, but a lot of great pop culture goodness. Oh, thank you. Yeah, there's a lot going on right now. Uh, so you can find my writing at thelongtake.substack.com. Uh, so a, a Substack, if you're not familiar, is a hybrid blog newsletter. So you can sign up and subscribe for free and get my all of my reviews as they're coming out into your right into your inbox. Uh, and yeah, right now I'm covering The Last of Us, uh, The Mandalorian, and Bad Batch, unfortunately, is the casualty of this, because <laughs> this, this, uh, the Oscars are this Sunday, and I've really yes. kind of amped up my Oscars coverage this week. And so Bad Batch, will, I'll have to do a catch-up review, I think, after after this weekend. So, um, yeah, and, and actually, I just did a soft launch of what I think is going to become a podcast version of The Long Take um, and uh, covering Oscars, um, doing Oscars predictions. So if you have an Oscars pool, you're going to go to an Oscars party this weekend, uh, you know, try to check out our predictions of who we think will win and who should win in each category. And it's been really fun. You can find me on social media at uh, Subchokchai, S-O-P-C-H-O-C-K-C-H-A-I on Instagram and um, Qui-Gon Jen on Hive. So good. Corey, what about you, buddy? Yeah, if you've got thoughts around what you think that crab creature was, uh, let me know um, on Twitter at Query Club, or if you have a longer version of like the mythos behind the crab creature and you want to tell me all about its history, feel free to email me at C at coffeewithkobe.com. I know I was going to introduce you, and the purveyor of the club sandwich. <laughs> that was that was a good one. That was pretty good. Well, thank you so much, everybody. Please get your top five together for not only this, um, but for the latest Bad Batch episode, which is a, a monster episode as well. Get your top five list ready, and I will share them on CWK Live, which, of course, is next Tuesday night. 
7 o'clock p.m. Central Standard Time. Thank you so much for joining us, everybody. This is the podcast you're looking for. This podcast is not endorsed by the Walt Disney Company or Lucasfilm Limited. It is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. The official Star Wars website can be found at www.starwars.com. Star Wars, all names, sounds, and any other Star Wars-related items are registered trademarks and or copyrights of Disney and their respective trademark and copyright holders. All original content of this podcast is the intellectual property of Coffee with Kenobi unless otherwise indicated. This is the podcast you're looking for. 